His team didn't do tent making, Paul did. He supported the rest of that team. So he did that saying, I have the right to receive money from you, but I'm foregoing that right. But also, there's an awful lot in Corinthians about oratory. You know, where, where Paul will come in and say, well, I didn't come to you with great wise words. You know, I came in weakness and fear and trembling. Because amongst the Greeks, um, oratory was actually a profession. It was more like being an actor. You know, like if you're an actor, you can make good money. And the Greeks loved oratory. All right. So therefore, you'd have professional orators. And they came to you and they charged. Okay. So what was actually happening in the Corinthian church, the attack against Paul had changed. And what they were doing, they were attacking him for not charging any money. And they were saying, well, if Paul's coming to you and he's not charging, he can't be worth listening to, can he? Because he was mean. So, so the point is that, that, that these were people, they would just accuse Paul of what... And if one accusation didn't work, they'd just move on to the other. So the thing about he's just after your money wasn't washing, because everyone knew he was doing tent making. So then, what they then try to do is to make out, oh, well, no, he's, he's not receiving support from you. He can't be worth very much, can he? You see what I mean? And that, that's what he's referring to here. The mere fact that he didn't receive money from the Corinthian church has become a point of contention that people are using to try and convince the Corinthians that there was something wrong with Paul. Do you get the point here? Any accusation will do. Um, go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. <clears throat> Start reading from verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to me, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? <coughs> those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. Who are those people? <coughs> it's the circumcision party. They come into the churches in Galatia, because Galatia was an area, right? And they're trying to turn the churches against Paul behind his back. And they're having a certain amount of success. And now Paul says, look, remember that relationship we had together, and now... You're, you're treating me as if I'm your <coughs> enemy. And he goes on to... Um, oh, hang on. I've lost my face. Um, yeah, he goes on. What they want 
is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. (coughs) It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. So here, legalists have got into the church and they're trying to turn the church against Paul because, by definition, the legalists were teaching things that Paul wasn't teaching. So they're trying to persuade the church that Paul was wrong. Well, how could Paul be wrong? He was one of the unique apostles who had, um, you know, a revelation from God that is now the New Testament and therefore was inerrant. Um, Go to Philippians chapter 4. So you see, Paul had problems from Christians trying, trying to turn others against him because they had already turned against him. Now, this is an interesting verse. Uh, Philippians 4.15 Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the Gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Now, that's a very enlightening statement. The Philippian church was the only church that was willing to help Paul. Now it wasn't like that all the time. But he's referring there to a time when even the churches that he had birthed in the Lord weren't willing to help him. Why? Because people got in there to turn them against him. And the tragedy is that often when people do that, it works because it's behind people's backs people don't verify what they're hearing all the misunderstanding, all the innuendo, all the rumour you see what I mean? and it works the root of bitterness spreads and defiles the many go to 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 and he says You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. I mean, look, Paul, everyone deserted him. Well, why? Well, because of people trying to turn people against Paul, or they just turned against him, because he became too convicting for them. They turned against him. They deserted him. Um, go to chapter 4. <clears throat> Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. You see, so, so Paul, Paul experienced real problems with people who were believers. Now, go down to verse 14. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him. 
Hmm. Alexander the metal worker. Okay, go back to 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Now, we can't be 100% sure that it's the same person, but, you know, it's a pretty safe bet. So, 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these. Or what? They've rejected a good conscience. See? They had a good conscience, but they've rejected them. These are Christians who have got into bitterness, out, out of fellowship. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So, handed over to Satan, that was a sip for put it to church discipline. So, here is a Christian that had had church discipline done against him at Paul's uh, behest, and he's saying, Alexander the metal worker did a great deal of harm, did me a great deal of harm. See, here's Alexander out to get Paul. Alexander was a Christian. Uh, out of fellowship in a right state Christian, but by the time you've got hatred in your heart, yeah, you're an out-of-fellowship Christian. You, you can still be outwardly living the Christian life and doing the big Christian thing and spiritual gifts and ministry and all that, but you are an out-of-fellowship Christian. And then just, just lastly on, on this point, just go to 2 Peter. Again, just seeing the problems that Paul had with other believers. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. And uh, Peter says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destructions. So here's the point. Paul, Peter's saying that people going around and they're twisting what Paul is teaching. They're, they're trying to make out he's teaching something he's not. And of course, the whole point is they're trying to get you to reject Paul by misrepresenting what he's teaching. See? Twisting what he writes. This is... These are all the ways that out-of-fellowship believers work in regards to those that they have hatred in their hearts against. And just one, one, just so you see it wasn't only Paul, have a look at John the Apostle, uh, an example of him having problems with a Christian. Go to 3 John, so the third letter of John. <clears throat> and he says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. So what's Diotrephes trying to do? He, he's got a church nicely locked up to himself. And so he's misrepresenting John the Apostle because he, he wants everyone under his control. You see, so gossiping maliciously. 
Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil. And that's evil. Maliciously gossiping against someone, in this instance someone in ministry, because you don't want people to be influenced by them because you've got something against them, alright? And so you you misrepresent them, you say you slander them, you say things that aren't true, but you do it behind their backs and you do it in a scenario where the truth can't come out. See what I mean? This is how these people work. So, quickly now, let's ask a question. So, what what sort of issues is it that, that sets Christians off to end up like this? Um, I mean, often it, it's simply just Christians who are convicting of something that they won't be honest about. So maybe they've been corrected by someone and that, that's filled them with resentment or, or whatever. Okay, so sometimes it can just or it can just be that no one's actually corrected them about something, but just that they become aware that there's a disapproval about something in their lives. Maybe no one said anything particularly, and so they resent. They they're not willing to you know, and so they end up with, with all this hatred and that. So that's, that, that, that's one way. Now, another way it can happen is when believers are legalistic. Now, there are some believers who are legalistic. Now, let me find, say that legalism is when you demand more of people than the Bible does. Like the circumcision party. You can't be right with God if you're not circumcised. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. They're demanding more than Scripture does. That's legalism. Now, there are many believers who are legalistic, but there's no hatred in their hearts. They're, you know, they're not after you if you don't agree with them. You see what I mean? They're legalistic, but they're not on any campaigns. But the problem is, there are other people who are legalistic, and they are on campaigns. We saw this with the, with the circumcision party. And their great enemy was Paul the Apostle. Because there was Paul, a Jewish man's Jew, saying you don't need to get circumcised. So he was the one they needed to bring down. So that's why they were after him. So, legalism, there are some people, they're legalists, and they do, they end up with this real, you know, hatred against those who won't submit to what it is they want to impose on you. Let's just see that, go back to, to Galatians. Again, Galatians is about the circumcision party. Because it's the circumcision party that has got into the Galatian churches. So, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15. And the context here is Paul combating the effect of the um, circumcision party on them. And uh, in verse 15 he says, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. And you see, the thing is that when legalists get in, what happens is, if they get one or two people on their side, then they set them against other people in the churches who aren't on their side. You see what I mean? And all the time, they're trying to divide and conquer. You see? No green to differ, no, no kind of 
graciousness, you know, anything like that. And so this is what's happening in the Galatian church. And the Galatian church is that there are fights amongst themselves because the legalists are persuading some and not others. <clears throat> and so it's like that in the churches. And Paul says, look, you're, you're, bite, you're devouring each other. You'll destroy each other if this doesn't stop. That's what the legalists were, were, were trying to do. Uh, let's see, where should we... Yeah, go, go to what 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll read verses 1 to 4. <coughs> As it's good to know often what motivates legalism. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, what he's talking about here, hypocritical liars, consciences seared, he's talking about believers, because obviously these are believers who have got deceived, and they're spreading that, you know, to, to others. Hypocritical liars. Well, what's like hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is when you say one thing and do another. Now, here are people, supposedly in the love of God, are they stitching other people up? That's hypocrisy. You see what I mean? Now, liars, we've already seen, if you hate your brother, the Bible says you're a liar. You say you love God, you hate your brother, you're a liar. Hypocritical liar. Now, this thing about conscience is being seared with a hot iron. And again, this is something that, that, that through the years, you won't be a Christian that long before you sadly see this. If a, it's, it's reference to a burn, a hot iron. And if you have a really bad burn, although the skin will recover, the nerve endings don't, and you don't have any feelings. So if you've got a deep burn, it's recovered, you'll see the scar, there's no feeling. Now, conscience is seared with a hot iron. What's it saying? Well, these are people who've resisted conviction of sin in the face of blatant, you know, it's obvious, there they are, you know, they might be shouting and screaming at people, telling lies, it's so obvious that they're out of fellowship, but still they refuse to come clean. And what happens after a while, their consciences stop working. Just stop working. And this is why you can meet Christians who are convinced of their own holiness whilst living in a way that this scandal maybe to unbelievers. I mean, I, I have seen believers express murderous anger against other people that would shock your average English pagan. You see what I mean? And that, that's what it's talking about here. So Christians with a seared conscience, their conscience is not working. It's almost as if they're beyond the possibility of conviction of sin in the area where they've resisted God and been dishonest for, for so long. And of course, <clears throat> the thing about legalism is that legalism is spiritual pride. Ultimately, no, you know, other people, you know, the, the only way you can match up to these people's standards is by adhering to their particular whatever it is, you know, what, whatever defines their legalism. You see what I mean? And so often, when they come, as I say, many legalists are lovely people, it's not a problem, okay? But there are other legalists, they're so determined to make everyone like them, that if they can't do that to you, they'll reject you, because you know what I mean? And they'll just 
not even taken seriously as a Christian. Not because you're going against the Bible in anything, but because you're going against their specific whatever it is that they can't demonstrate from the Bible. Okay. Now, another thing that sets people off are what I call doctrinal bees in, in bonnets. You know, the phrase, someone's got a bee in their bonnet. Now, when you get people with a doctrinal bee in their bonnet, it could be that any, any of the, the doctrines might be fine. The, the problem is that they've got to be in the bonnet about it. Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll, I'll show you what I mean by this. An example in the Corinthian church of this sort of thing. 1, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, and read verse 10 to 12 first. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, and here's the real super spiritual party, I follow Christ. Now, nothing wrong with Paul, nothing wrong with Apollos, nothing wrong with Cephas, and certainly nothing wrong with Jesus. But you see what these people are doing? They're latching onto a something, and the something they're latching onto is absolutely fine. And they're making it paramount to the point where they're willing to get in fights with other Christians who don't agree with them. See what I mean? Now, this, these, these are people with bees in their bonnets. And so, therefore, often, the effect they have, they're determined to make everyone else like them. And, if they can't do it, well, guess what? They'll start fights, they'll start quarrels, and then bitterness spreads, and bang, you've got Christians persecuting Christians again. See what I mean? This is what the Bible is warning against all, all the time. And then if you just go over into chapter 3 and verses 1 to, to 4... Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men when one says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? So what Paul's saying, look, as long as this is what you like, you're a baby Christian. You, you've yet to grow up. Because what you're missing is that your mentor, as far as it depends on you, to live peaceably with all men. And these are the people, I say, they get this, a bee in their bonnet, and, uh, you know, these are, these are Calvinists who don't believe Arminians are Christians. These are Arminians who don't believe that Calvinists agree. You see what I mean? Nothing wrong with Calvinism or Arminianism. It's the attitude. And of course what happens is they fight each other. And I, I have seen, um, yeah, I, I, I have met Christians and it's not their doctrine I fought, it's it, uh, that I fought. It's the fact that if other believers don't hold it, their attitude towards such other believers is just horrible. You are beneath contempt if you don't adhere to the specific doctrine that they have got obsessed about. And that's the issue. The issue is not the doctrine. 
It, all these things are within the parameters of Orthodox Christianity, no problem. It's the fact you've got obsessed with it and it has become your marker for everyone else. And the problem is, when you've got that attitude in your heart, you will fight to, to, to make everyone else like you, and to, to make everyone else to be like you. And if they won't, you'll either reject them or actually go on a campaign against them. So, and then a fourth thing, and there are lots of things that will end Christians up in this sort of hatred, but another one is direct false teaching. I'm not now talking about, you know, the, the okay doctrines that are within, but actual false teaching. So if you go to 2, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and the point is, all these things we're seeing, can you see they have the potential to make Christians into troublemakers. That's the point. They have the potential to have Christians hating other Christians. So 2, 2 Timothy, <coughs> chapter 1, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 3. <coughs> um, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up the sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Go to 1 Timothy in chapter 6 <clears throat> If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching he is conceited and understands nothing. Listen to this He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. You see the effect that that has. You know, and you know, I, I, you know, I point you back, because this is clear false teaching. I point you back to the sad experience we had when we actually hit up against the whole feminism thing and, and, and had to say, no, I'm sorry, teaching is for the men. So, so I mean, that's false teaching. Any of these things can set Christians off so that sadly they cannot, they cannot remain in a right relationship with you. The terms are you give in to what they want, even though it goes against the Bible, or they will resent you. And this this is the tragedy of it. Now let's let's come back to murder. <clears throat> we all know that during the Reformation, that the Catholic Church, because there were countries where the Reformation won, and there were countries where the Reformation lost. And in the countries where the Reformation lost. If the Catholics got their hand on you, you were imprisoned, you were tortured, you were murdered. And it's very, very common to hear Christians 
slating the Catholic Church because of the evil it did in imprisoning and torturing and murdering non-Catholics. Okay? And I agree with that. I think the Catholic Church did incredibly evil things and is to be condemned outright. But what many Christians don't know is that in the countries where the Reformation won out, where the Reformers had the political power, because the Reformed churches were now the state churches, not the Catholic Church. So the government was, as it were, controlled by the Reformers. Okay? In those countries, because of the freedom, a lot of the people who became Christians said to the Reformers, let's not stop where we've come. Let's go further. Let's baptise believers only and not do infant baptism. Let's separate the church from the state. Let's do what the Bible says comprehensively rather than merely getting converted. Right? And history came to refer to those people as the Anabaptists, which means to be baptised again. Because although they've been baptised as babies, they said, we've become a Christian, we get baptised now. The reformers imprisoned them, tortured them, and murdered them. And there is no question but that reformers were Christians. Now, some of the Anabaptists weren't. There were rabid heretics amongst them. But is it okay for Christians to do that to heretics? Absolutely not. The only power the church has is excommunication. But the point is, most of the Anabaptists were wonderful believers who were far more biblical than the Reformers were. And the Reformers, they imprisoned them, they murdered them, they tortured them. And that was Christians doing it to Christians. The Reformers hated the Anabaptists. Now, what was the cover story? Oh, they're a danger to the spiritual well-being of our country. Oh, the cover story was, yeah, very spiritual. But the truth of the matter is that some of it, and it was Zwingli, was the first one to bring persecution to bear against other Christians. Official state persecution at that, you know, sort of controlled by the church. And the other reformers cottoned on and did it as well. And so here we have Christians with hatred in their heart against other Christians, actually with the power to murder them, which they did so they could get away with it, they were the power, they were the political power, the religious wing of the government, and they did it. And there you have Christians murdered. But of course it was all covered with spiritual, it was because these people are dangerous. They're subversive to society. Well, so what? They were Christians who were simply saying, let's be comprehensively biblical. So, there you have it, the reformers did it to the Anabaptists. Now, winding up here, we're just going to read some Proverbs now. Just to complete this picture. <clears throat> and then a couple more verses after that in the New Testament and we're done. Proverbs, chapter 6. And the thing that we must all the time be aware of is that we mustn't ever just be saying, yes, there are 
Christians who get into this state and it's appalling. Mm. Any of us could. Mm. You see the point? The only difference is they haven't lived in repentance. If we stop living in repentance, well, yeah. So there's no resting on our laurels here. The warnings apply to us. We could do it as well. Let's make sure we never do. So Proverbs 6 verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Throughout the Old Testament, one of these sins that God condemns in, in, in incredibly serious ways is when the innocent are said to be guilty and the guilty are said to be innocent. That is condemned outright in the Old Testament. Justice and fairness and truth are at the heart of following the Lord. Injustice is a terrible evil. To acquit the guilty and to condemn the innocent is a terrible thing in God's eyes. So hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Yeah, see that? That's what we're talking about tonight. Chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Still chapter 10, verses 17 to 18. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. We'll be back to slander shortly. Uh, Chapter 15. Verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. But a patient man calms a quarrel. So often, if you've got, you know, some kind of, you know, Christian against Christian, and you, oh, what's going on here? Look where the anger is. Because the chances are, where you have anger versus calmness, the, the, the chances are... <laughs> It's the angry person who's who's the problem. You see what I mean? Now, it's not necessarily 100%. The angry person is obviously wrong. Uh, there are calm people who can be wrong. Yeah, you see what I mean? There's lots of hit men who don't get cross with the people they kill. So the, the mere fact that someone isn't angry doesn't mean they're right. But, but the point is, if you're right with God, you won't be angry. You, you see what I mean? So they're pointers. You know, issues are only ever sorted out by looking at the whole, you know, all the facts, all, all the truth. But it's, it's a pointer. Anger is always a, a great no-no in, in the Bible. Uh, 20, chapter 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down 
is a man who lacks self-control. I mean, this is a, a picture of a, a, you know, sort of like the, the demolition crew have gone through the city. They've wrecked it. Well, that's what people who lack self-control, these Christians who are angry and they don't hold themselves accountable, they don't judge themselves, they won't listen to others, they, they won't let scripture judge them. Do you see what I mean? And they just fly on headlong in their anger and their hatred and they, they just destroy everyone that, that, that they touch. Uh, chapter 26, verse 21. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You, you see the point? It's like going around, you know, like getting the wood and everything and to set fire, destroy everything. You know, beware, beware people like this. If, if they're not being honest and, you know, and dealing with it in, in their own lives. Uh, chapter 29, verse 11. A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Um, and then verse 22. An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. So the point is, when you get Christians who get into this state, can you not see they're out to do other people? They're out to do harm to other people in order to justify themselves and in order to, well, satisfy whatever perverse desires it is they have that require them to need to be horrible to people, to spread lies about them, to slander them, and, and actually now we come on to the slander. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because this, this is at the heart of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We, we have an advisory list. This is the sort of stuff that could, should be excommunicable. Right? That's basically what 1 Corinthians 5 is all about. Okay. Uh, the heart of it is immorality. That shouldn't surprise us. And he says... I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother who is sexually immoral, oh yeah, we can go with that one, or greedy, yeah, an idolater, yeah, or drunkard, swindler, oh yeah, slanderer. A slanderer. What's a slanderer? A slanderer is someone who seeks to wreck someone's reputation by spreading things about them that aren't true. You see? That's what slander is. A slanderer wants others to believe wrong things that are derogatory about the person that they've got it in for. That's what slander is. And biblically, it's a very serious sin. And the reason that slanderers are so dangerous is because... If other Christians are not careful, the slander spreads. You see? Now, one of the principles the Bible says is that you, you never make judgments based on one side of the story. Now, the trouble, about, the trouble with slanderers is that they get around to other unwise Christians who aren't mature or, or whatever, and, and, and you get Christians based on what someone has told them. And, and, and now, I'm angry with this person for doing that to them. Hang on. 
how do I know that what they're saying is true? Now, in 90% of cases, just reserve judgment. Do you see what I mean? What one thing I often say to people is I say, oh, well, if that's the case, that's, that's terrible. You see what I mean? And then leave it. But if one's ever in a position where you have to make a judgment, you've got to go and find out the whole story first. You see what I mean? And the great mistake is when you make judgment without having the whole story. Because then you can end up with the same hatred that the slanderers got towards these people. But what you don't realise is you've got it wrong. What they've told you isn't what happened. We've seen enough of that through the years, haven't we? It's a tremendously uh, serious you know, th- thing to do. And of course, just, oh, oh, right, yeah, I've got one more verse in Proverbs. I'll just read this to you. And this, this is the principle that all the time uh, we've got to, you know, I mean, in lots of areas of life, but certainly in this, in Proverbs 18 and verse 17, uh, it reads, The first to present his case seems right, till another comes forward and questions him. Well, it's pretty simple, isn't it? That's the principle. And, uh, you know, so we've got to be careful of that. Now, last verse, Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And after this, we should all be experts on what can go wrong and therefore how we make, we safeguard ourselves. Because we, we could end up like this. Any of us could. And there are Christians who are like it now. They weren't like it for years. You see what I mean? We must all be careful. Now, Titus chapter 3. And he says this. Avoid foolish arguments. Sorry. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies. It's people picking at the little fine points of doctrine and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time after that have nothing to do with him you know the American policy when they brought three strikes and you're out well that's actually biblical with a divisive person, the Bible says they get two chances and then it's church discipline. Ooh. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, this is interesting. This word divisive in divisive person, heresis, is the word we get heretic from. And what it actually means, it doesn't mean someone who is teaching false doctrine. They might be, but that's not what it means. What it means, and I'm quoting Vine now, Vine's Expository Dictionary. Self-willed opinion in contrast to submission to truth. That's what a divisive person is. It's someone who has self-willed opinion in contrast to submission to truth. So these are people, they're not going to let anything as, 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 you know, anything like facts stand in the way of a good belief. Do you know what I mean? And if they've been spreading rumours about someone, they're not going to let the facts of the matter stop them doing it. Do you see what I mean? Even if presented with the facts of the matter. 
or people who are spreading false teaching. You show them from the Bible it's false. Well, they're not going to let the Bible stand in the way of a good doctrine. Do you see what I mean? So it means someone who is intensely self-opinionated, they are their own reference point. There's no accountability to Scripture or, equally important, to other believers in regards to Scripture. Remember again, Proverbs says, in the multitude of counsellors there is safety. Now also interesting, it says that these people are warped. Now this word warped, and uh, the King James Version uh, is, is subverted and the AV Version is perverted. And it's extropho. And it means to turn inside out. And what you've got people here is they take everything and they turn it inside out. So they turn black into white. They turn white into black. Because you see what I mean? They take the lie and they make it the truth. They take the truth, they make it a lie. It doesn't matter what you give them, they turn it inside out, upside down. Everything is merely fodder to further what it is they're doing. Do you see what I mean? They will twist anything. Okay. So as I say, with Paul, you know, if he took money, he was wrong. If he didn't take money, he was wrong. Do you see what I mean? Everything is turned inside out. And then it says he is self-condemned. And again, I'm quoting Vine on this verse. He says, self-condemned on account of doing himself what he condemns in others. And one of the things you'll find with these people, particularly when they're after individuals or a set group of people, I mean, not so much if they just are, I mean, like if it's Calvinists after Arminians or vice versa. But one of the things you'll find is that they're, they're, the people, whoever it is in their target, they'll be going on and on about what dreadful people those people are. And as part of that campaign, they will lie about them, they will spread rumours about them, they will do anything they can to hurt them. Ah! Oh, and you're saying the problem with those people is they're not very nice people. And here are you doing everything you can to destroy them. Do you see what I mean? And what Paul is depicting here with these divisive people is they, they will turn everything on its head. It doesn't matter what facts you present them. Everything will be twisted round to their way of thinking and they will be after people accusing them of the things that they themselves are doing. Yeah. Often, when the people they're after aren't even doing those things themselves. See what I mean? And one of the, the lessons I think I have learned, and I think we've learned it as a church, other people will have to tell me whether they agree with this, um, but I've come to the conclusion um, that, that, that I, that we, have suffered because we haven't been obedient to this verse and because we turned two chances into an infinite number now we we did it because we wanted to extend grace we we did it because we thought these people give them enough love they'll come round and of course the, sometimes the bible is just a lot earthier than we're prepared to be and the bible says no you give them two chances 
then you put them out of fellowship. And that's what's going to bring them around if they're going to be brought around. Do you see what I mean? And so we do need to, to be... Now, remember, we're not talking about, you know, any of us can have a little squabble. We're not talking about that. We're talking about divisive people who clearly are demonstrating completely wrong attitudes towards others and who have left the truth. And we've got to make sure as a church we're a lot tougher in regards to anything like that. Okay, yeah, so, so do, do Christians hate each other? Sadly, yes, sometimes. And so could we if we don't watch.